0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four K E Y S that's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: There's a thousand things that can happen before you step foot on the ground from the bed, your alarm goes off. You're frustrated that you didn't get enough sleep. Um, Then you check your phone and see that uh, you got a text message uh, that puts you in a bad mood because it might be something you didn't want to see. Um, You didn't get a text message from a friend and you're like, Hey, you know, maybe they're not thinking about me. You're not feeling good about yourself. Uh, You check the weather before you even set foot on the ground and realize that it's going to be a cloudy day. Well, you see the stocks. Oh, the stocks are up today. The stocks are down today that, you know, I'm going to have a good day or a bad day. You check your likes on social media, man, I can't believe I only got 10 likes instead of 5,000 likes like this other person everything that's happening you haven't even taken a step and the external is just playing on your mind and telling you who you are what your day is going to be like and you need to you need to acknowledge that you need to realize you need to wake up i just say two words the moment i wake up i just say thank you
2: I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at UnmistakableCreative.com. Taylor, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us.
1: Thanks so much, man. Happy to be here.
2: Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. So I found out uh, about you and your work and your book by way of your publicist. And when she told me that you were a professional basketball player uh, as a diehard NBA 2K22 fan uh, or 21 fan, uh, I knew I wanted to talk to you because I've always been fascinated by the journeys of professional athletes. But before we get into all of that, uh, I want to start by asking you, what did your parents do for work and how did that end up shaping and influencing the choices that you've made throughout your life and your career?
1: Awesome. Well, love the, love the first questions. The first time I've answered that. So this is going to be great. Good start. Um, my dad, uh, worked a lot with financial consulting, um, and he traveled around the country, uh, speaking, uh, and engaging people about financial consulting and trying to, um, help them understand how to, um, uh, do long-term financial planning. Uh, my mom is involved with uh, the company Supercuts. Uh, my mom and dad were involved with it very, very er- early on and helped it become public uh, back in the day. And then my mom's continued on and they they celebrated their 40-year uh, anniversary uh, with Supercuts a couple years ago and uh, has done really well. Um, and she's down in Houston and Dallas, Texas with uh, some haircutting salons down there. Um, as far as shaping me, uh, I was around a lot of um, hard work, I, I guess you could say at the same time, most people wouldn't have even known that my mom, uh, worked because she was always so involved. She was just like kind of a super mom that was there, um, at all the games, cutting orange slices for soccer games. And, uh, she was always around at the same time she was helping, you know, run a company and sometimes in a different state, uh, even when we were in California and being raised in Santa Barbara, she had a lot of stuff going on in Houston and Dallas, um, my dad was doing a lot of traveling, but at the same time, it felt like he was always there. Um, so I think it shaped me with uh, unconditional love and my, my family always being there for me. Uh, I had an older brother, Alex, uh, who is my best friend. Um, and so I'm, I'm pretty blessed and pretty privileged when it comes to a childhood. Obviously, being raised in Houston, Texas, and Santa Barbara, California are two great places to live. Um, so that obviously helped shape as well. But uh, my parents were there. My parents were hardworking. My parents were very loving, and I think if you encompass all of that together, it just kind of paved the path for me to to you know create kindness for myself and love for myself and also be hardworking towards whatever that might be. Um, nobody was really involved with athletics, um, so it was cool to have my own thing and kind of push myself in that direction.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you brought up the word privilege, which I couldn't <clears throat> help uh, but notice. I mean, I, I've spent time in Santa Barbara, and just based on the way that you're describing your parents' careers, I assume you grew up in relatively, you know, like came from relative means, not maybe extreme wealth, but uh, how did your parents, uh, what did they teach you about money, wealth, and also, you know, the position that you have? Because I think that, you know, particularly when it comes to professional athletes, right? A lot of them don't come from positions of privilege. They come from really harsh and adverse circumstances. So I guess the, the real question is, how did they teach you to remain grounded and be aware of the privilege that you have in your life?
1: I think the big thing is to understand that privileged is very different than the word spoiled. Um, and so to be privileged, um, can mean a thousand different things. It's not even a monetary thing and not even about uh, how much money you're may, you may or may not have. Uh, it doesn't matter what's going on. There's somebody next to you that's got more, ha- their houses are bigger or smaller or whatever it might be. We're very privileged. Um, I think in the mind where I always believed that I could do whatever I set my mind towards. Um, I believed in setting goals. I believed in working hard towards uh, whatever it is that I was working towards, and again with basketball, not having any kind of path paved for me, I always had that chip on my shoulder. Being a smaller white guy from Santa Barbara, it actually is not a privileged um, thing as far as basketball. So <laughs> it, it would have been better if I was in a bigger city, Los Angeles, or you know, even San Francisco, or you know. Some are East coast, as far as being able to make it as a basketball player. And some people would, would look at the privileged Santa Barbara life as, um, as a negative, almost in the recruiting process. And part of the reason probably why I wasn't recruited at all coming out of high school, um, was that I was playing in a, in a Santa Barbara league. That's actually really good, but that nobody really know about or talk about.
2: Yeah. Uh, You mentioned that your parents, uh, you know, have have been working at the same place for 40 years, and that's such a a different narrative than we have about careers today. Uh, But I wonder, what do you think are the lessons and insights that we can take from that experience and apply to our lives, particularly for young people who are pretty much not probably going to be at any job for more than five years these days, because we just live in a different world than you guys did back then?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I read something a while ago. I don't know if it's still the same when you graduate college, you know, you usually change your, your profession or your career at least five to seven or 10 times before you find out what you want to do. Um, definitely it's hard to just put myself in a generation. I'm 36, but like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm part of a little bit of the old generation that the stick to um, of the older generation, as opposed to, um, younger people that have a lot more Um, feeling day to day where it's just like, kind of, what about me and what am I into today? And then, um, changing things around. Uh, I've always had it in my mind that if I start something, I'm going to complete it. Uh, which is very interesting because I know a lot of people that are very close to me, best friends, family members, um, even my wife a little bit that likes to have her mind on some different things. And then if it's not working, she kind of gets on to the next thing. I'm one of those people that if I'm halfway through a really, really bad movie, I have to see how it finishes because I, you know, I picked this movie and I want to see it. (laughs) Kind of how how it goes to the end. So I think I've learned a lot from that as far as um working hard and seeing things to completion. I love seasons in basketball. Um, you know, I, I like to see this the, the preseason and, and work hard with that. And then I like to see how it transfers into the postseason. I like to go for championships. I like to choose teams that have a chance to win championships. So I like to kind of see things uh you know go towards the end. And I think maybe I learned a little bit of that uh through my parents. Um and uh, hoping that, you know, that doesn't mean that it's right. doesn't mean that younger people are, are, are wrong for changing things around. I think everybody has their own path. But I think for me personally, um, I like to do things and just see how far I can take it and push myself outside of the comfort zone. Yeah.
2: Now, you mentioned that, you know, you weren't uh, from a family of athletes. First, uh, is your brother an athlete? Just out of curiosity.
1: My brother was a really good tennis player. He was actually really good at all sports. And because he was two and a half years older than me, especially growing up he was better than me at everything. Um I think it was the first time I beat him in one on one that's when he stopped playing basketball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was um but he always pushed me and I think that's a big reason I am where I am today. If not the reason um that I always wanted to be like my brother. I always was pushing myself to be as good as him and and he's 3 grades above me and I was always competing with him and his friends uh, and that pushed me to be better for sure. Yeah.
2: How old were you when you uh, had this sort of realization that what you wanted to do with your life uh, was to play professional basketball?
1: Well, I'm probably the only person you'll ever talk to that, um, was a six. I, I believe I was a sixth grader and, uh, talked about, I'm going to play professional basketball overseas. <laughs> and so I didn't even really know that there were leagues over there. I just knew that I loved traveling. Um, I had the opportunity to travel a little bit as a kid, I love basketball. And I was like, hey, when I grew up, I'm a professional basketball player and travel the world and play in Australia and play in Spain and play in all these different places. And I used to envision myself playing in the Olympics and shooting in the backyard. And, you know, I would just, you know, say, OK, you know, Italy is playing against this team. And I, I had this fascination, I think, for that. And so I've always known since I was playing basketball, probably five, six years old and then um, always knew that I wanted to be a professional basketball player.
2: So what is it that that sparked your interest in professional basketball? Because I think a a lot of kids dabble. I mean, I, you know, we all kind of look at it and like, yeah, that's probably never going to be me. I mean, you know, I'm an Indian kid with limited athletic ability. So I kind of knew professional basketball was Mm -hmm. not in my future. And, you know, I was the most improved player on my seventh grade team, which at that time just meant (laughs) you're the shittiest player on the team. Uh, But you know I, I always and the thing is that nobody ever taught me that i could actually get better uh that was one fundamental lesson i missed i assumed that my talent was fixed and you know as a snowboarder and surfer i've learned that it's not and so i wonder one you know like what is it that prompted your interest in
1: basketball i think i was just prompted by sports in general again looking up to my brother i was very uh, interested in team sports i think my best sport could have probably been tennis um Um, but I was just standing by myself, breaking rackets and throwing them around and having nobody to talk to. And I need people to bother. So I, I have a, um, you know, a team sport. Um, I like the competitive nature. I like being physical as far as, you know, a a contact sport. Um, and then it's just a passion that was inside and it was, it was a passion to improve, I think. And I didn't realize that till later on that I always wanted to try to get better. And I was never really, Mm -hmm. I was, I wasn't always the best player on my team. I just recently had it was crazy I had dinner with um my uh, basically my aau team from 20 years ago um and we were sitting there and i was reminiscing i'm the only one playing basketball and i was reminiscing how two of them were de- they were a lot better than me um for basically our whole, our whole childhood and uh i was kind of the second or third best player on my aau team um and i was just kind of a pass first point guard that just you know wanted to win but every day i was trying to get better and better and, and be better and better and so Um, even getting into high school, I wasn't the best. Um, And I pushed myself so that senior year would be, you know, I'd be the best player in the county. And then I didn't get recruited, but then I wanted to push myself to get recruited. Then I got recruited and wanted to push myself to prove that I belonged in division one. Then I just kept pushing myself and pushing myself and just trying to improve every day.
3: Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be.
0: We go sell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
2: So numerous questions uh, come from this. The first is that you said that you knew you wanted to play professional basketball overseas. And most kids who decide they want to play professional basketball are basically watching the NBA and thinking, okay, I'm going to be on the court with, you know, Steph Curry or Kevin Durant or whoever it is. That's a really unusual uh, you know, perspective on choosing to play professional basketball, what, why is it, you know, that you chose to do overseas? And I know, I know from reading the book, you also passed up on an opportunity to try out for the NBA, which most people would say, that's crazy. Why would you do that?
1: Well, the first thing I wish I could tell you that as a kid, I would sit there and look at my options, do the research and just say, Hey, you know, European basketball is for me just looking statistically, but it was just, um, I don't, I don't know why I said it. I think it was an interview. They were doing an interview from sixth grade. And I said something like, I want to play basketball at University of Michigan uh, or USC. And then after I'm going to play professionally, probably overseas. And I, ha- I don't know if I accidentally read a book, if I accidentally saw something on TV or what the situation was. I don't know why I was thinking that. But I just, um, like I said, I wanted to travel the world and I wanted to um, be part of basketball. And then I realized that Everyone's path is, is extremely different and enable to find your authenticity. I I got that a little later on in life where, um, it's not what the world is really thinking about me. It's, it's really what makes me happy and what's my journey. And when I got overseas, not only did I meet my wife over there and fall in love with the European culture and European, um, people and a European person in general, which became my wife, but, um, I just knew that that was my authentic path. And I had this thing from the book that talks about wanting to be involved in the fourth quarter. And I always want to be a fourth quarter person in life where I want to play. I want to be part of the action. I want to be there when my kids are born. I want to be there when they're, um, if they break their leg, you know, I want to be in the hospital. I want I want to be part of the big moments and it, it, overseas. I've had an amazing career where almost every single team I've been on at the end of the game, the ball's in my hands. And so I didn't know if I was going to have that opportunity in the States. Um, I At the time, I had been offered a big contract to stay in Europe. I, I ended up accepting that instead because I really felt like that was my path and that was what was great for me. Um, and then when you make choices, I always focus on how the choices are bringing positivity into my life and all the positives that come from the choices as opposed to the the what-ifs and the, the road you know that I didn't take and the grass is always greener. And so I never think twice about... Um, All that kind of stuff, because I'm too focused on what's next.
2: Yeah. Well, let's talk specifically about this process of improvement, because one of the things you say is that we're programmed to aim for perfection when our focus should be on improvement. Each day I focus on becoming a better basketball player, not a perfect basketball player. Redefining perfection allows us space to structure our mind toward daily applications and personal effort. So. When you're in high school, and you decide that one, you want to get better. Two, you're not being recruited. What is the, the process like at that age? I mean, to the point where you end up on an AAU team? Because I remember seeing a documentary about AAU teams and the sheer amount of work that goes into that was just like shocking to me. I mean, these are kids you could tell were being groomed to go play pro. And that doesn't seem like a, it seems like really hard work. And so I'm curious, like, what are the training regiments like? Like, what is the mindset? How, what is involved in this process of getting to the point where you're good enough to play pro?
1: The interesting thing is when I look back, I don't know how, um, God definitely had me on a path that was pure where it's hard to explain. I'm looking now and colleges are about different types of recruiting, different types of transferring different types of mentality. When you're going into it, what's best to to further in your career, I just wanted to go play basketball. And that was the constant theme where I just wanted to play. I wanted to play. I wasn't thinking, and when I was in college, I wasn't thinking about statistics. When I was in college, I wasn't thinking about going to the NBA. It wasn't until really I finished my college uh, senior season that I even thought about agents and and going to play overseas. I was just so Uh, fixated on the process as far as the day-to-day, fixated on the next game, enjoying the fact that I was in college. When I was in high school, I loved being in high school. When I was in college, I loved being in college. Whatever season I'm in, I'm, I'm excited about that season. And it's my agent's job to think about, you know, next season. It's my coach's job to think about the next game or whatever it might be. And I'm just trying to focus on the process. In high school specifically, I realized that one thing I needed was athleticism, I needed to get out of my comfort zone and get out of Santa Barbara to train myself um, in a different city. I drove basically every Saturday morning, um, two and a half hours to go train in, in a part of Orange County, which is, you know, two and a half hours away to train for two hours and then drive two and a half hours back. And that was a high school kid's Saturday morning, which is unlike most high school kids, because that means you're not really going out too late Friday night and your Saturdays are pretty much taken um, because I just wanted to gain a couple inches more of 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 hops and athleticism just to help my game that I couldn't find that specific training in Santa Barbara at the time. Um, and I was always seeking out ways to become better and I was trying to learn. One of the biggest things I've 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 gathered in all the places that I've been and all the traveling that I've done is, is you have to wake up each day with the idea, I want to learn something. And the biggest Part of that is being humble and realizing that if you need to learn something, that means you don't know it all. That means you're not right all the time. And so a lot of people have that mentality like, I'm owed this. I'm right. I'm a good player. I work hard. So I deserve this. I'm owed this. And that's not the case. There's a lot of people working hard. There's a lot of people with a lot of talent. There's a lot of people going after the same goals that you're going after. And so when you focus on the process and not that uh, expectation or that outcome—that's that's your life. That's um that's the the meat of your life, and that's what brings people happiness and more sustainable happiness. Because, you know, they're just taking it day by day and working as hard as they can, and that becomes the foundation of who they are.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that intellectually we all understand that you know focusing on the process, not the outcome, is the key to actually achieving the outcome. But we live in such an outcome-oriented world, and. Um, one, why do you think that is, why do you think that young kids, you know, are so future oriented? They're basically thinking about the next season of their life. And, you know, I think, you know, you're 36, I'm 43. If there's one thing I've learned is that life rarely goes according to plan.
1: Uh, well, we live in a social media world where people literally get to see all day, every day things that they might want, desire or envy. Um, they want to get, they want to have that. They see people on vacation. They want to go on vacation. They see people, uh, winning a championship, they think about winning a championship. They see so many things. There's all these images that we're going after, um, and nobody's posting. You know, I'm just I'm just here sitting sitting in the bathroom. You know, having a Saturday morning in the bathroom. Just had some coffee, and uh, it's a typical day. And that's not what you're seeing. So people are are less turned on and less fixated in this in this daily effort in this daily routine, and they're more fixated on on specific things uh, through images. Uh, first and foremost, which is which is tough. And then um, we get excited. One of the greatest things we have that keeps us stimulated and happy and finding joy is that we're optimistic about the future. Um, people find things to be excited about. And I think that's really important. And then they fixate on those things. And then they fixate on planning for those things. And then it turns negative because they start stressing over those things. And then how am I going to get those things? Uh, when they realize that, it's fun to look forward to stuff, but then the process is what gets you there. And so the hard work that you put in uh, every day or the optimism that you have every day, if you if you create that as a foundation, then that's who you are. So I'm waking up every day and it doesn't matter what happened yesterday or if I'm further away or closer to my goal, that's who I am. So I'm going to wake up and be optimistic. I'm going to wake up and be thankful. I'm going to wake up and be hardworking. So it's less about... um looking at the future and more about realizing uh, that's the person that I want to be. I talk a little bit about why, why are people thankful and why are they kind? And a lot of people are kind because people are kind to them. It's like a reactive type of emotion or feeling. And if someone's kind to me, I'm kind to them. And I'm not kind to people because they deserve it. I'm not kind to people because they're kind to me. I'm kind to people because I want to be a kind person. I believe I'm a kind person and that's, that's rooted in who I am. So if you're rooted in that optimism, if you're rooted in that hardworking mentality, then every single day, that process can be just habit. That's who you are, regardless of um, where your current situation is close to the goal or not so close to the goal.
2: I mean, so you brought up social media and one of the things you say in the book is that external influences have the ability to change our minds, altering our perception and our beliefs. We consciously or unconsciously filter our lives depending on who's in the room as well as the social climate. Uh, I think it's inevitable that we're all influenced by our external environment, whether that's people, whether that's, you know, what we consume, because, uh, you know, Luke Burgess actually just recently wrote this amazing book uh, called Wanting, which is about medic desire and how almost all our desires are influenced by social influence. And at the same time, I wonder how you maintain your own value system, your own personal definitions of success and define all this for yourself in a world where you are constantly being influenced by your external influences.
1: Well, first, you have to understand that it's happening. Uh, second, you need to understand that it's going to be difficult. Um, and third, you're going to understand that it's not perfect. You're not going to be perfect. So you can kind of keep recalibrating and trying to figure out who you are. And you're on this path to, you know, figure out who you are as a person. The biggest thing that I, I do is I wake up every morning and I talk about a little bit in the book called The Morning Intake. And so um, there's a thousand things that can happen before you step foot on the ground from the bed. You haven't even started your day. You haven't even taken a step. And the external is always influencing the internal. Your alarm goes off. You're frustrated that you didn't get enough sleep. Um, then you check your phone and see that uh, you got a text message uh, that puts you in a bad mood because it might be something you didn't want to see. Um, you didn't get a text message from a friend and you're like, hey, you know, maybe they're not thinking about me. You're not feeling good about yourself. Uh, you check the weather before you even set foot on the ground and realize that it's going to be a cloudy day um i always talk about the stock market perfect example you see the stocks oh the stocks are up today the stocks are down today that you know i'm gonna have a good day or a bad day you check your likes on social media um man i can't believe i only got 10 likes instead of five thousand likes like this other person everything that's happening you haven't even taken a step and the external is just playing on your mind and telling you who you are what your day is going to be like um and you need, to, you need to acknowledge that. You need to realize you need to wake up. And the, I just say two words. The moment I wake up, I just say, thank you. And there's a thousand reasons to be thankful instead of finding a thousand excuses um, to not have a good day or to not work so hard. So I just say, thank you. And then I have to spend the rest of the day realizing how thankful I am and what I'm thankful for. And so my alarm goes off. I'm thankful for another day. Uh, I don't have an alarm because I got two small kids and they wake me up. I'm thankful that I have a kid. (laughs) I'm thankful that I have an incredible wife. I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to spend time with them and inspire them and be inspired by them. I'm thankful for a roof over my head. I'm thankful for the food that I'm about to eat. There's a thousand things. But if I'm seeking out that thankfulness, then I'm less influenced by the external in a negative way and then the external that comes in i positively filter it and because i'm so thankful for everything that everything's coming my way from the external and i'm finding reasons that that's adding positivity to my life instead of taking away from it
3: running a business is hard but your email marketing doesn't have to be with awebers easy to use email marketing platform you can stay connected with your audience write new content faster sell more and grow your business all without having to become an expert in yet another business tool. Start today at aweber.com slash podcast. That's A-W-E-B-E-R dot slash podcast. Aweber, simpler email marketing.
4: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away.
1: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombuscom slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
0: Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
2: Yeah. So... One thing that you mentioned was that you weren't recruited out of high school. You weren't recruited out of college. And I think one thing that I've just observed in you just from our conversation is that you seem to have this pattern of, you know, ignoring you know, whatever system is in place that's designed to hold you back and somehow transcending it. Uh, why do you think that that is and how do other people develop that ability?
1: Um, I think that you... um. A little bit, what I talked about earlier, when when you're expecting things, when you have expectations, um, it's very different than having goals, um, especially being from Santa Barbara, California. Um, you see this perfect world and you expect the world to be perfect. I think people can develop um, an idea and a true understanding that good comes with bad, bad comes with good, but I'm not going to expect things. I'm not owed things and I, and I'm a hard worker. I mentioned it earlier where... When you have these expectations, um, there's stress and there's anxiety. And if you don't get them, you're broken. And when you have these goals and you work hard, when they don't happen, uh, when they don't happen you create new goals. You, you work harder. Um, that becomes rooted in who you are. So um, I think that it's very, very difficult um, to continue on your path when things are not going your way. But at the same time, adversity is coming and we can use that to define us in a very positive way. Um, adversity gives us a chance to shine. Uh, I have an uh, an amazing image in my mind that works with some people that I talk to about. It definitely works with me, where um, you're sitting in a room with um, it's it's I guess there's decent lighting. You know, you have a couple a little bit of sun coming in from the windows, and then you bring in a lamp and turn a lamp on, uh, and you don't really notice the difference. Uh, too much when the lamp's turned on or when the lamp's turned off. But when you're in a really dark room and you bring a lamp in and turn the lamp on, uh, it highlights the room. It gives you light. It's everything. It's it's your way of being. And I and I use that with adversity. So when things are not going your way, um, a lot of people it's very dark. And to be able to inspire and use adversity as a positive and say how can I how can I be my best and how can I influence others and inspire through this. They're going to go through their dark times and they can use you as their light. So I've redefined adversity for myself and realized that that's my moment. That's my purpose. That's my time where I can shine at my best. And with two kids, they're sponges. That's the time that they're going to see me and redefine what adversity is to them, redefine what hard work is to them and be able to be inspired. So when they have their moment, they can get through it and push through and be stronger.
2: Yeah. Well, so I have two questions uh, about the actual experience of playing basketball, both on a professional level and at a college level. I think that, you know, from the outside world, what we see are multimillion dollar contracts, people living, you know, really you know, glorious lives. But I know that that is only one side of the story, and that's not the reality. What misperceptions do you think those of us who watch Division One sports and see the NCAA and see all these athletes have about the reality of their lives when they're in school?
1: I can definitely talk to you on the pro level and I can specifically talk to you about being married with kids. I mean, that's the biggest thing for me. People are not seeing that I have two kids under, under three, um, since COVID and a little bit before COVID they've lived in like 10 or 11 different places. Um, they're sleeping at a pack and plays they Um, uh, they're constantly being uh, changed around. They don't have the uh, similar toys or a room to call their own. They're not rooted in a certain area. Um, you're being told what to do a lot of the time and not able to make your own plans. They're very difficult things. uh, During season, I have 10 months season. I don't have a weekend. You're not allowed to, you're not able, sorry, you're not able to plan a weekend. You don't know even what days you're going to have off, what days you're not going to have off. um, And you're kind of subject to your sport. Um, If you're going to take it to the next level and if you're going to continue to grow you need to take care of your body. You need to be conscious of when you're waking up, when you're going to sleep. You're not able to do some of the things that other people are doing. I remember college, um, I was envious of uh, people going on ski trips um, and people doing things of that nature, going home for Thanksgivings, going home for Christmases. You know, I haven't been home for a Thanksgiving or Christmas in uh, almost 20 years. Um, so there are so many things that are behind the scenes, and but that's, that's not a... Um, That's not something to hang my head over because so many people are going through so many things, whether you're an athlete or not. Um, And we can focus on those negatives or you can focus on the positives. There are so many incredible things that basketball adds to my life. And I spend most of my day uh, being thankful for those things and trying to incorporate any negative things that are going on and trying to heighten them and, and have complimentary actions or complimentary things for them to create a better life for my family.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I was watching this. I actually was an interview I was hearing once on a, a podcast with Jeremy Lin. Yeah, uh, you may have seen that uh, Lynn Sanity documentary, you know, another very unlikely guy to end up in the NBA. You know, nobody really recruits for the NBA from Harvard. And... <laughs> I think the thing that struck me most about what he said is that, you know, most people think that we're all, you know, rich, he said, but the thing is, it's like a handful of guys who make fortunes on the team. And he said, the other thing is that, you know, we're always at the risk of being fired because the way we perform in the court determines whether we're going to get our contracts renewed. And so he said, it's like any other job. uh, And that's the part that people don't see.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, especially in Europe, it's the idea of what have you done for me lately? Um, and so that's a tough way to be because, um, especially when you're, when you're at a, uh, let's just say an office job. And I don't want to generalize any job because they're all different and all people are different, but let's just say you have a bad quarter, you're told to pick it up and, uh, maybe you can have a better quarter. Let's say you're in sales and try to pick up sales for the next, next quarter. Uh, if it's, if it's not working over and over and over again, you're given a couple chances. There's a potential that you get fired. Um, if you're not playing well in a preseason, sometimes you can get, you can get cut. Um, if you have a bad day and have a bad attitude, this is one of the things that people really don't understand. If you just have a bad day, which everybody does, and you come into, to work and you just have a bad attitude. And let's just say you talk back to your coach, um, a reputation can go around that you have a bad attitude. You might lose out on jobs for years. Um, there's, there's, you know, everybody talks to everybody and it's a pretty closed community in sports. Um, and very close. So people people are talking and people giving reputation, sometimes positive, sometimes negative, and sometimes are true, sometimes not. Um, I had a, a surgery 16 years ago on my knee. And every every time I show up to a team in preseason, they said, hey, we, we heard you have knee problems. Wow. And I haven't missed a practice or missed a game because of my knee in 16 years. And every time I show up, they say, we heard you have knee problems. Everybody says you have a knee problem and it becomes part of my contract negotiation. I mean, it's absolutely absurd what that can happen in a, in a regular job type setting. You give, um, you know, you give, uh, references or something like that, whether they're called or not, I don't know, but you have a chance to reinvent yourself for the most part. Our, our job is on TV. It's very, very clear. You blow up in a, in a timeout that's on YouTube and that's being seen by everybody and potentially on sports center. So, um, I think you're held to a very high standard. That's that stress and anxiety that people feel not to mention, imagine going to work and you're, you're doing a sales call, you're on the phone and you have 10,000 people watching you to see if you can close the deal. I mean, that's, that's kind of where you're at. We were like, Hey, you know, I have a lot of stress. I have a lot of anxiety. Things haven't been going my way, but there's one minute left in the game. And if I can just make this one shot, you know, that can all go away. And then boom, you miss the shot. How deep can it go? Um, you know, you're not going to have sympathy from the fans. You're going to get frustration from the fans. Maybe, maybe they didn't want you there in the first place. They're going to start voicing their opinion, social media and online. And there's <laughs> so much, there's so much to deal with there. So um, it's a very high stress situation. I'm hundred percent sure that every NBA team and every NFL team within the next couple of years, will have somebody on staff full time. That's just um, that's just dealing with the mental uh, health uh, of yeah. the players I'm 100% sure of that, if not uh, me being one of those people. Um, and so um, that's a big, big thing. We saw that what happened with Simone Biles. And so it's just it's just opening the world up to realize that um, there's so much more behind the scenes. Yeah, we had uh,
2: Graham Betchart here, who was a mental toughness coach for a couple of Warriors players, and, and he was telling me the same thing.
1: <clears throat> big time. Big time.
2: That's it. Oh. So, what is your your on, on the days when you're not playing a game? What does the average day in the life of a professional basketball player look like? Uh, you know, that's one question. And then another question. My roommate is a diehard Milwaukee Bucks fan. Uh, we were actually in uh, Wisconsin uh, during this year's finals, and I think that one of the things that really struck me was you know watching Giannis play <clears throat> was just two things: one, the humility, but the commitment to the crap. and I wonder, you know, as a professional basketball player, what is it that enables people like Tom Brady, who are written off as, you know, six round draft picks to become Tom Brady, and people like Giannis, who, you know, show up out of nowhere to become people like Giannis? Like, what is it that enables achievement at that level in sports?
1: Well, man, that's, that's so many, so many things I can come back with that. One, I think Giannis, um, not everybody has Giannis's body. <laughs> <laughs> let, 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 let's just start with that. I, I think that if he woke up one day and he was six one, and he you know it'd be a different story. Um, Gian, I mean, uh, humility is is super super tough, um, especially in the social media world because you're going to get challenged so many times, and the critics are going to be so heavy. If the Bucks had lost again this year, then it would have been uh, we can't win with Giannis. Uh, we need to trade him. Uh, and, he, yeah. and and the fact that they won or the fact that maybe the nets were uh, not healthy or the Lakers were not healthy. Um, uh, if, if the nets were healthy and potentially beaten the bucks, then we're talking about Giannis can never win a championship. You'll never be able to win with him. And so there's so many little breaks and little things um, that can make or break a career. If he had gone to the wrong team um, I'm a clay Thompson guy. If clay had gone to a different team, he still would have been an incredible guy. Would he have been Clay Thompson? If Steph Curry had gone to a different team where they just wanted him to be a spot-up shooter and not dribble the ball as much as he did. Uh, Steve Nash really, really struggled coming coming into the NBA and throwing crazy passes. And if he had been on a different team with a different coach, they would have you know, sent him overseas um, and instead of uh, really built him up as one of the top players ever to play. Um, so I think it's a uh, place and time Um, a lot of, some luck comes into it, but the luck is just the opportunity. And the reason why the big players are the big players is when they get that opportunity, they take advantage of it and then they can move on and and realize that the next day is the most important. Keep in mind, I think the bucks were swept last year, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, so what's going to happen? Where's your mentality? Are you going to go down? or Are you going to push forward and become better? As soon as Tom Brady won with the bucks, everyone's saying, wow, you know, Every year, like he could retire, and he's the best of all time. And he woke up and said, "If I'm ready to win a championship, I'm going to continue to play, and you know, let's go out there and compete again." So the the, the mindset of the champions is definitely at an all time high, and especially you have to be so tough in the mind because with social media, the second that things yeah. don't look good. It's just the end of the world. And I'm a Laker fan, and things didn't look good at the beginning with AD and LeBron, and everybody said this and that. And then all of a sudden, they come back and win a championship. And it's like, oh, I was always a fan. I was always a believer. Well, um, it's tough. The process is tough. Lots of ups and downs.
2: Yeah. We had... um, Scott O'Neill, who's the CEO of the 76ers here, and I was asking him about the reality of dealing with social media for players. And he said, think, to your point, he said, think about, you know, receiving random criticism from random strangers on the internet at scale. You know, here, like you imagine people who couldn't dribble a basketball to save their life, like me, criticizing Giannis for his inability to make free throws.
1: I love it. I love it. I mean, growing up watching, watching Shaq, I, I would always say, okay, here grab this ball and I want you to throw it in here. And, you know, it's like, that's the size of his hand. That's the size of this. And like, everybody's got something to criticize. And what's interesting is I played, I played out in Serbia and they said, this can be the hardest place for you to play. And I said, why? They said this uh, arena that you're going to play in seats about 8,000 and you're going to have 8,000 coaches watching you play. (laughs) <laughs> just a bunch of guys that think they know the game and they really do. They really study the game. They really love the game. And I love Serbian. I love Serbian fans, but it's, it's really difficult because every it, it, man, the game looks so easy from the crowd. And yeah. even as a player, the game looks so easy. We watched, we watched the game on film. Trust me. We watched the game on film. The game looks easy. The coach stops the, you know, stops the film and says, Hey, what, what should you have done here? And it's easy to see that you should have made that pass instead of that pass. Well, the game doesn't happen from a bird's eye view. The game is happening. It's very intense. If you go down there and, you have, and you're lucky enough to get a courtside seat, then you realize how big these players are, how athletic, how fast, how high they can jump, how quick they are, how, you know, how skilled they are. And so it's very humbling once you get in the action.
2: Yeah. So this is a question out of personal morbid curiosity. I've always been fascinated by how somebody can be so good that they can get all the way to the NBA, but they can't shoot free throws.
1: Like, well, yeah. the, M- the NBA is very interesting because the NBA, uh, NBA is about almost being good at one thing because you're going to have a lot of superstars. And that, that's what I tell a lot of younger players that come to Europe. Some guys that left the NBA and should be in the NBA, some guys that didn't get in the NBA and should be in the NBA, and they're trying to make it back or get into the NBA. And I'm always like, listen, you don't need to be good at 10 different things. If you're, if you're a dunker or a driver, you don't need to start shooting threes for the NBA to look at you. You just need to be great at what you do because you're going to have a Kobe Bryant. You're going to have a LeBron James that has the ball in their hands and controls the game. And when he passes you the ball, you have to make that shot. And play defense. If you're a screener, you have to screen and get people open. They're very specific roles on NBA teams. And so when somebody gets there, um, yes, I do believe that they should be able to make a free throw. The same goes for baseball. I don't understand how you focus on baseball all the time and then pitchers can't hit. (laughs) <laughs> how is it, how is it that, that, that you're, you're there every single day, everybody else is doing batting practice. Are you not doing batting practice? It was my same feel where it's just like, why is it that when you come to the plate, everyone's like, this is a sure out and you're batting, you know, under 100. It's just, it just blows, it blows my mind. Cause you have all those hours and it's a skill sport, just work on your hitting because you're going to be hitting, you know, they need you to hit one out of every nine times you're up to bat but you're there for, for most of the time, a specific skill. Um, and then, uh, then there's the mental aspect of it too, where, um, the, the top players are going to the free throw line a lot and they know if they miss one, they can make the next one. Some of their players are only going there one or two times a night and you know, they miss a free throw. Uh, it's very difficult to be a uh, role player and a bench player, um, because you might come in one game for three minutes. You might come in for 15 minutes if you get 20 shots in a game, you're probably going to get your average. If you get 2 shots in a game, you might go over 2. Next game you might go over 1. Next game you might go 3 for 3. Your inconsistency starts to play with you and you're trying to get that one shot up and uh, if you might miss, you know, for 4 games in a row, you might not make a shot and then that starts playing effect in your mind and then when you shoot a free throw like okay, here's my one chance to get a basket and then you miss. So there's so many different things that can come into it.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that one of the things that we've been kind of you know indirectly talking about is this idea of insecurity and you said that as i've experienced it insecurity stems from destructive internal thoughts that we project onto our world and our loved ones insecurity exists because we relinquish valuable space and energy space and energy that could be used for positive and positivity and trust insecurity fills your mind with self-destructive doubts and fears seeding feelings of inadequacy like you're not good enough how have you dealt with insecurities in your life and are there things that you're still insecure about
1: Um, You know, I wouldn't be able to answer that truthfully if I said, no, there's nothing I'm insecure about. I I wouldn't be able to think of something right now. I don't feel like I have insecurities. I guess um, I have um, such a desire to make people happy that I, I, I guess my only insecurity is wanting people to be happy and wanting people to experience joy. And I find frustration, you know, when um, I can't reach people on a level to help them create happiness and joy. I just feel like there's so many things to be thankful for, and and we should be going around just smiling all the time and just saying hi to everybody and high fiving people because um, you know we have the choice to do that. Um, insecurity is a tough thing, and and there's a scientific way to talk about it. There's a um, you know as far as a, a, a I don't know the right word therapeutic. Way to talk about it as far as uh, things that stem from your past or from your childhood or whatever it might be. Um, I just feel like we have a choice every day to be really confident with who we are. I like to think that we walk into doors every day and no matter what door I'm walking into, I'm, I'm extremely happy about who I am, where I am in my life, and then who I want to become. Um, and I'm just constantly trying to be better. So if I, if I walk into a stadium with 20,000 people or if I walk into a dinner with people that I don't know, I'm very happy about who I am. I'm very happy about what I can bring to the table. I'm very, um, faith-based in, um, optimism. I'm very faith-based in, um, uh, excitement and energy. And the fact that I can, I can inspire people wherever I go. And that, that, that gives me that security and gives me that confidence, uh, to do whatever I need to do.
2: So, um, couple of last questions. Uh, how does the experience of playing in Europe differ from what we see uh, about professional basketball in the United
1: States? Um, well, my naive never played in the NBA perspective is um, Europe uh, definitely focuses on the day-to-day and my experience in, in America is we, we focus on um, the games and I mean that um, both in a positive way. Uh, where America is really predicated upon, especially look at um, American football, where it's, um, you know, uh, I do fantasy football. So it's just like, okay, he's questionable today. Uh, he's going to do half practice on Wednesday, a little half practice on Thursday, and they're going to get him back to be ready for the game. So the game in Europe is, man, full-blown practice today. Let's do it again. Let's repeat, let's repeat, let's repeat. Let's be perfect every day. So we build that habit to be perfect. And there's that grind of, um working hard every day. And that's a good thing too, because I like to work hard every day and I believe in the process, but at the same time, it's just like, Hey, let's, let's prepare for these games. Let's get rest. So when the game comes, uh, we're more ready to go. So that's, that's one thing that kind of jumps out. Um, The, um, the idea that every game is the most important game is a little bit like college Um, and and where NBA there's, there's drop-offs, there's games that players are resting and I'm not, saying good or bad about that but what i am saying is there there there's drop-offs and dip-offs in in as far as intensity and performance i'm a laker fan as well you show up in the first or second quarter uh, it's it's laker basketball you know it's half empty and by the fourth quarter you know the fans are going and everybody's there from traffic and uh in europe you get there and the fans are there an hour before the game and they're chanting and singing and if you don't win this game it's like do or die coach gets fired this guy gets fired you start hearing stuff about this player. There's just so many games in the NBA that you just can't maintain that high, um, level of, uh, focus, I guess, for that many games and that many days on the road and that much traveling. And so, um, there's a couple of differences, um, but at the same time, you know, there's a, there's high pressure on both sides, uh,
2: uh well I have two final questions for you. One uh, how has becoming a parent changed your perspective on success, uh you know happiness and also on your career?
1: Oh man, everything everything is uh um about what the what the kids see, you know. Um it's one thing to talk about it, it's another thing to do it. You know, these kids are smart, they're sponges. Um their norms are going to be built on what we teach them and what we show them and what they see when they see us. And, and they're so smart. They see everything. They see your facial expressions. They see your excitement and happiness. Um, and then your ability to shift focus and realize what matters in life, um, especially when it comes to the this idea of success. Um, in the book, my favorite thing I talk about is um, you know, my my success is built off my happiness. My happiness is not built off my success. And so my kids are going to see me smile. My kids are going to see me uh, joyful and happy. My kids are going to see me loving my wife. My kids are going to see me um, loving and being affectionate towards friends and and family. They're going to see me working hard. They're going to see me uh, playful. They're going to see me because that's that's, that's their norm. That gives them the best opportunity to be successful in life and to be happy and find their joy. So um, being a parent has been everything. And it's kind of like put up or shut up. Um, it's one thing to be on this podcast. It's another thing to wake up at five 45 this morning with my son and I didn't get enough sleep. And I'm going to look at him with really amazing, incredibly loving eyes and say, Hey, what's going on? It's going to be a good day. Let's play. And I got a smile on my face. And so it's very humbling. It's, you know, it's great. Yeah.
2: Amazing. Well, um, I have one last question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: what makes them unmistakable but uh just their authenticity um you know it's it's inspiring when when people uh, are living out their authenticity and experiencing joy uh the way that they're supposed to be experiencing joy for them personally just them what if it's for a moment if it's for a year if it's for a lifetime people finding their true passions and finding their authenticity and just living it out um for the best for themselves and for the, for the best for others awesome
2: um well uh i can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and your insights with the listeners where can people find out more about you um your books your work and everything that you're up to
1: hopefully we got a link because my last name's pretty wild it's taylor um t rochester on instagram uh, i believe it's tc rochester on twitter um, and then, you know, coming up, I'm still playing about to start my 13th season. So you can follow, follow the games uh, online, wherever that might be. And I'll be posting about that, you know, stay in tune, but taylorrochesi.com has got most of the, most of the information.
2: Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that.
3: Running a business is hard, but your email marketing doesn't have to be.